Welcome to the show. This is Philip H. Anselmo. Hey, everybody. This is Ricky Rackman from Headbangers Ball. Hey, guys. This is Aaron from Betraying the Martyrs. Hey, what's up? This is Mike D. from Chillfish and Gage. Hey, this is Scooter Word from Cold. And you are listening to... And you are listening to... And you are listening to... And you're listening to... You are listening to... Talk to me. 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 With Joshua. What is up, congregation? Welcome into Talk To Me, episode 230. The special guest this week is Aaron Gillespie of Under Oath and The Almost. He's actually on to talk about The Almost's new record, Fear Caller. It is out now on Fearless Records. Make sure you are checking that out. We will hear a tune off of that after the interview with Aaron Gillespie. It is an interview about the almost, but we do end up talking a lot about Under Oath, the reunion, his love of NASCAR, touring with Korn and Alice in Chains, uh, being a session drummer basically for Paramore for four years, touring now versus the early days, and so much other good stuff. This is about an hour-long conversation between him and I, and I tell him at the end of it, but this is truly one of the first times that kind of go off script and we don't really talk from the notes we actually just kind of talk he's kind of new to the podcasting game uh he loves podcasts but he's never really been on podcasts i saw where he was on the lead singer syndrome a couple of times but uh, overall not a huge podcast guest out there and so if you got a podcast make sure to reach out to aaron gillespie because it sounds like he wants to do all the podcasts a lot of fun, like I said, stick around for the interview and um, huge news. The new Talk To Me shirts came in. Make sure to hit me up. It's paypal.me slash talk to me. $25 shipped in the U.S. If you're outside the U.S., we will work something out. Just leave your name, your address, and what size you need. Get everything from small up to 2X. $25 shipped. They look awesome. Actual screen printing, none of that red bubble nonsense, none of that uh, Teespring nonsense. These are screen printed t-shirts from our friends over at MerchLive.com. I'm loving them. The logo's awesome. Make sure you're checking that out. So help a brother out and order yourself a new Talk To Me t-shirt. Like I said, $25 shipped in the U.S. PayPal.me slash Talk To Me. Leave your name, address, and your size, and I will ship it out to you ASAP. And speaking of MerchLive.com, make sure to head over to MerchLive.com. Check out all of the great bundles they have over there. They've got stuff from Megadeth, Metallica, Pantera, Slayer, Anthrax, all the Dave Ellison stuff, all of the EMP label group projects. Head over to MerchLive.com. Use the promo code TOME10 at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Yes, that is TOME10 at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Once again, T-O-O-M-E-Y-1-0 at checkout. For 10% off your entire order. My name is Scott Bowling. I have a show called Good Company. Good Company is a show where we film artists in the rock genre and we talk about their first record all the way to where they are now. We've interviewed bands like Korn and Seven Us and Rich Ward. You can find me on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook under Good Company or Good Company with Bowling. So please, if you get a chance, check it out. Good Company! All right, guys, let's dive right into some classic The Almost. Let's check out my conversation with Aaron Gillespie. Check out a new track off of Fear Collar, and then we will listen to some classic Under Oath, and then I will talk to you momentarily.
days at home so kind of you know doing the errands and i own a studio so there's always some shit going on there nice yeah it's always nice when the mm-hmm. uh, the animals want to want to make an appearance on the podcast gosh you know whenever you have a record coming out it's like that thing where you're just on the phone you know yeah and it's hard because i usually go outside but i uh it's getting uh starting to temperature starting to change here in salt lake city so you know have you relocated out there, or is it just where you're at currently? I did about seven years ago. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, maybe. Uh, uh, wait, my kid is seven. About five years ago. Yeah, about five years ago. What What drew you to Utah? Family, family, kid, mm-hmm. and then uh, I married a girl from here, and we got five acres out in the country that we plan to build a house on. So um, I'm just here. I just, you know, I. I wanted to be out of Florida at first and I miss it sometimes now and I don't want to be in New York, LA or Nashville. So I sort of just did the whole like blazer on trail thing and 
do what I want to do, you know? Yeah, Salt Lake City is yeah. a, a cool area. I've always enjoyed going out there. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's a great place to raise. If you got kids, man, it's kind of the kind of the place. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, uh, we've got Aaron Gillespie of uh, Under Oath and the Almost on the Line new album, Fear Caller, out. October 18th so that's soon man uh, so we're getting ready for it and uh, I know you got to be pumped uh, man I'm uh, I kind of didn't like really mean to make this record it kind of just happened so it's always like serendipitous when something you didn't think was going to happen happened you know so I just sort of started writing songs at the end of the year last year and uh, I don't know I, I didn't know what like outlet they were for you know what i mean like i yeah. feel like we used to have like this kind of format like uh, that songs had to fit for under oath you know like that's why i ended up starting the band in the first place because i had written songs that didn't really fit the format you know i wrote all of our all the southern weather songs around the time that we were releasing or recording to find the great line and that record stylistically just such a bend from the almost songs but now I think our thing with the with Under Oath has just been not to have rules, you know, stylistically. I think that I think rules inside of creativity are dangerous, anyways, right? So I, you know, I just started writing songs, and Under Oath was in the middle of the cycle, so it wasn't like here's some songs, guys. What do you think? We were like touring heavy, and I wrote a lot of the lyrics to this record when we were doing the Erase Me tour, so there wasn't there wasn't the home for it, you know. So I I got home from that tour and just kind of started like demoing songs. And I ended up with like 30 some odd songs. Like I was doing a song a day for like months, you know, like starting a song every day for months. And I kind of, at the end of it, I started playing them for my manager and he was like, dude, like these are some of your best songs. And I was like, really? You know, it was like kind of like accidental. And I had no like real, uh, like plan to put the almost back together. We never played a final show. You almost kind of just fizzled because I was playing drums for Paramore at the time. And, um, I just, just stopped doing it, you know? And I, I'm glad that I did because it, it made it to where I can do it again now. But anyway, it's, we ended up just being like, what if we made an almost record? So I kind of used those songs for that. And here we are. Now, would you say the almost is kind of a, a catch all for your solo stuff or is the almost a, a, its own entity as in, what I kind of got from this new album, it's very singer songwritery roots rock stuff yeah. rather than, you know, some of the, yeah. the, the 2007 almost is, it was kind of the, uh, the music of the time, you know, it sounds very 2007, which, you know, is a good sound. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think who you are when you're 23 and who you are when you're 36 or they're not, they're not <laughs> the same thing, you know, you're so telling me. I, it's just kind of where I've landed you know, musically as a writer, you know? And I think that I, I don't know. I think, I think that it's a disservice to like your fans and a disservice to the public to make the same thing over and over again, because it worked, you know, like I think that people, people, there was a lot of angry people with erase me and there was a lot of people who loved it, but it, you know, there are people like, where's the band that I love. And my whole thing is like, I think it's a disservice to, it would be really easy for us to remake to find the great line and make a ton of money and just go and do it. Right. But that's not fair. You know what I mean? Then people would bitch about that. So for me, it's like, I just believe in putting putting out at the time you're making it, whatever you believe in the most, you know what I mean? Like whatever your, 
whatever wavelength you're on, I think that that's the, that's fairness, right? Like to yourself, like as an artist, and to into your public, you can't go out and just be like, hey. Here's another thing that's the exact same way. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so. I got you. I think that if you were yeah. to think that way, I don't think that the Almost would ever have been a band because I don't know how how hardcore Underoath fans would take a band like the Almost in the in the early version or even this current version. So if you were worried about the fan reaction, I don't think you would put this album out. This album wasn't like, let's go and find success. You know, I've been like hyper fortunate in my life you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like hyper hyper fortunate uh to be able to play music for a living that's the dream dude you know like (laughs) like to say like i i don't have a job you know like i still like i was under us played uh self-help festival the day to remember last saturday and you know, it's a, it's a big old festival and we're walking the stage and I like when you play those outdoor stages and you can kind of see the haze rolling off the stage. And Chris and I were walking like this was a long walk from the dressing room and there's no golf carts or anything. And you could kind of see it. And I said, we're going to work. Isn't that weird? You know? <laughs> and I still, I still think about it that way. So for me, with this album, it was just like something I got to do and there was no pretense or trying. I feel like now, like, with the popularity of hip hop and urban music and all of that, I feel like a lot of rock musicians are trying to do something that will stick. You know, you hear that a lot. You listen to records and there's such a blending of genres and that's really cool. Like people want to blend genres, but I feel like there's a lot of try hard going on right now. You know what I mean? Like you listen to, you listen to something and you're like, this is just blatantly trying to fit in to the mold that we're living in and in the century that we're in and the decade that we're in in America. And for me, I just, I never really related to that. You know, I just want to make what's true to me. So that's why we ended up here. So, yeah. I think with the way you're talking about with, with Under Oath kind of being, you know, let's go to work. It's, and that's not a bad thing to say as, as maybe fans might take it the wrong way, but there's a nice level that the band has come to that you're not struggling in a van. You're not you know, doing a, a 90, no, a think, 90 day I club think, tour, you know, now you can do the festival. I mean, and more what I mean is like, we get to go to work like right. this. That's what I was, that's what I was okay. saying to Chris. Like, this is our job. Like how lucky are we? Right. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's like a thing, right? Like I, we, we get to do this. So you should put your most honest thing forward. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mean like, Oh, we're going to work. Blah. I mean, there are times in a band that feel like there's, there's times in a band that feel like work, like, you know, being in Europe on, you know, someone's birthday or the travel of the work, like the actual playing and the getting to do this is not the work, but yeah. And the, just the, just the, just the simpleness of being able to, yeah, there you go. Uh, of, of not having to worry so much about, is this photo shoot going to make us look cool? Or is this new album going to continue with the fans? Like under oath is at a, is at a stage in the career where the fans are there and you've got some hardcore fans that are probably never going to leave. You know, you got some fans coming in and out that, you know, that just how music goes, but you've established yourself as a festival band, as a draw. So, I mean, yeah, it, it is going to work without having so much of the, of the little petty stuff that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's like, 
that's just an honor every day, right. you know, to, to wake up and get to do this. You know, I think that's what I, there's a lot of like, you know, you hear interviews from artists and there's a lot of bitching that we, we do sometimes. And I just try to stay out of that, you know, just because it's luck, man, like to get this, uh, this opportunity and this chance to be that band. It's like step, it's like stepping in shit. Literally. It's like walking in a, in a, in a football field and there's one pile of shit and you step in it. You know what I mean? Like you out of everybody else right. that walked across there, you're the one that stepped in it. That's how I see it. You know, cause at any time, Tonight, all over the country, all over the world, there's a band playing in a bar for 10 people that's better than our band. You know what I mean? Just go to Nashville, man. You can go into any bar and there's musicians on stage that you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, I grew up in Nashville, like so looking yeah, I know. For tips. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, man. You know, or, or uh, go always, to, go to New, you want to really blow your mind, go to New Orleans for a weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, and you'll see musicians that are like reinventing something every night on stage and they can't pay their electric bill. You know what I mean? I've played in bands with dudes that I know are better than a lot of bands out there that are that that did they just totally. decide, they just decided not to do it anymore and you're like why are you wasting so much talent but uh but yeah it's just, scary. It, it, that, that that shit scares me half to death you know what I mean like I'm just like what in the world like and I know that I'm not that good you know what I mean <laughs> right like, like I have confidence in certain elements of my craft but I feel like I'm not that good at any one thing I'm kind of a Jack of all trades, master of none, you know? Yeah. And to see guys that have literally devoted their lives to playing an instrument and they're, you know, working part time and playing on the weekends in shitty bars for 10 people. I'm just like, dude, that's weird. So it is, it's just stepping in shit. It's luck. Yeah. You know, pure luck. Yeah. I mean, you got to think about, you know, I've always, I've always associated that with sports too, with, you know, there's probably 30 quarterbacks out there of guys that never picked up a football, you know, or, or had they just picked up a football when they were, uh, you know, ten years old, they probably could be in the NFL. But they just never picked up the football, or, or you know, guys that. It's so uh, weird, man. I, I, I think about that every day. I'm a huge racing fan. Yeah. Big NASCAR fan. It's like I'm like super passionate about it. It's like the second thing to music to me. And there's so many guys that are such talented motorsports athletes, and they don't have a job because they don't have the right sponsor, especially that world is the meanest one because, you know, it takes $60 million a year to run a monster cup energy cup series car, you know? So if you didn't, if you didn't get the right deal, if you don't have the right sponsors, you can't go. Or if you have like a lesser car, you can't win. You know what I mean? Like there's guys that like are hyper talented that are driving a C, a C category car that they're just, they're in the back every week. And if they had the car that Kyle Busch was in, they'd win every week. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so it's no, like, I got you. It's, it's, it's much like that, you know, like, and that just keeps you, if you can learn to think that way, I think it's not good to be down on yourself all the time, but I think if you can learn to think that way as a successful musician, it really humbles you out in a good way. You know what I mean? Like, I think about it all the time in terms of my own instrument as a drummer, like, we'll take bands on tour and they're, you know, making 250 bucks opening and the drummer is better than I'll ever be. You know, and you're like, dude, like, why did that happen? You know, like, how does it happen? <laughs> right. I know. I've, I've seen it seen it day after day. You know, you go to any show and then, you know, there's this dudes out there that are blowing your mind. I get it. You brought up NASCAR there. Uh, you, actually, I have a question for you. If you're if you're a huge NASCAR guy and kind of know, do you understand like the inner workings of the sponsorship stuff? A bit. Yeah. I have two friends that are that are uh, that are cup drivers. So that's how I know a bit more about the inside than 
uh, a lot of people, but I, you know. Well, I guess my question is, you're seeing some bands now sponsoring cars, or I saw, uh, you know, you know, obviously Killswitch Engage and Slayer both sponsored a car, mm-hmm. and and so uh, they were they sponsored trucks. We'll, we'll, we'll not use those guys because I don't want to, you know, put it, put numbers on anything like that. But what would a truck sponsorship run somebody? What do you think it is? Uh, truck is the lowest tier of televised NASCAR, right? So NASCAR has like the Wheeling series, which is young kids, open wheel racing, sprint car stuff. They have K&N series, um, ARCA series, and then it's trucks, right? So trucks are kind of the, kind of the, the AAA and majors in baseball, right? right? So trucks are like the double A of NASCAR. Um, and it's still, you know, we got the offer to sponsor a truck during that time when the bands were sponsoring trucks. Uh, and I'll tell you, we didn't do it. So <laughs> um, it's like, and, and we got, we got offered the hood. So <laughs> the hood, the hood is like, that's the big one, right? right? The hood is what you want. You know, we are, our, our, our offer was to, um, just tires. Right. And it was, uh, it was serious five figures, wow. like serious five figures. So, so I do know that, uh, a monster energy series cup car, that's like the big boys, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's $60 million a season to run one car. Wow. That's what it costs. That's before the driver gets paid. So it's just, yeah, man, the sponsorship thing with cars is like, I don't know that it makes sense for an artist to do, you know, I think that like, Somebody like ACDC, if they had like a commemorative car or like Garth Brooks or something like that, you yeah. know, but for bands like our band, I don't know that it makes sense. And I do believe me. I was like, I was like chartreuse with anger. I really wanted it to happen because <laughs> I'm such a fan. Right. And like most of our, most of our, most of our crew are huge fans. Like we take, like we have, uh, everyone went to Daytona 500 last year. Um, like I said, our buddy Alex is a, is a Hendrix motorsports driver and he's a big fan. And we befriended him through that. You know, they come out to shows and we kind of have carte blanche to go to any race we want. So it was hard for me to be like, no, but you know, you just look at it and you look at how much it costs and you're like, what the hell? You know, I mean, it can, in, in the trucks, like it can be up to $50,000 for tires. So it only goes up from there. It's a weird, 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 weird thing. But yeah, <laughs> it was to me, it was that, that business part of my brain going like that can't be cheap and is it worth it and so so i, d- I don't think it would be worth it but uh, it was still cool to see because it looked like kill switch got the entire car so <laughs> yeah i mean i think it would make more sense and i think we would have entertained it yeah. more if we had a, an album coming out you know but we got this we got this offer over the summer two weeks before the race so it was like are we really going to go try to do this like our record we're at the end of our cycle, you know, like we, we knew we had like half that tour left and then we're doing some one-offs this month and next month. And then we're done for a year probably to make an album. So it wasn't, it just it didn't make any sense. You know, it would have to come out of our pocket. It could be like a label marketing thing. We're like, Hey, we need X amount of dollars to put on the hood of a car. They'd be like, what, why, <laughs> you know? So whose car, what? but if we had now, if we had an album coming out, I think that I could like, I think I could finagle it. So I'm going to try next next time. We'll see. So we'll be seeing the almost number 26 car coming out soon. No, <laughs> no, that would that would be an under that would be an under oath thing. But I, yeah, there's no time no time soon, and it would have to be trucks. We couldn't afford. I mean, no band could afford like a Cup Series car. I mean, it's millions, dude, millions of dollars. Like, 
Like just the, I mean, it's crazy. You know, you got to think those cars are $750,000 and just tear through them. You know, you might drive a car for two races, maybe, you know, like wow. typically if a car wins, if, if a car wins, it's done, you know, they might, they might pillage parts, but it's such a secret. NASCAR is such a secret thing too. Like nobody knows how much people get paid. Nobody knows anything about it. It's like, it's like the last stand that's wild west, you know, back in the day, you didn't know how much sports players earned and NASCAR is like that. You don't, you don't know. Was NASCAR something you got into growing up in Florida with, with Daytona being down there? It's like super Southern people. You know, my family's from West Virginia and, and okay. Georgia. Nice. So I, I was, my generation was the first generation born in, in Florida. So it's just kind of something, you know, Southern rednecks love NASCAR, right? So it's just kind of something we always got into. And then I got out of it for a long time. And then uh, this driver, Alex Bowman, who he drives the 88 car, which is Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s last car. Um, and he's a big fan and we invited him out to some shows and I just started, this has been a couple of years ago now. I just started following it again and realized how much I loved it. And I have like a massive die cast collection. I collect all the memorabilia and it's just stuff, you know, redneck crap that I'm into that I love so much. Like I, I love racing almost as much as music. So it's just been a cool thing for me because like it just gives me something else to focus on. And I think it's made me creatively better because I don't, you know, it used to be before when you're in a band, like all you focus on is that, you know, you're sitting home and you're thinking about like the next thing and NASCAR's silly and dumb as it sounds. It's kind of made, enabled me to like think about something else, you know, like at least for a couple days on the weekend, I get really into like what's going to happen and who's running what and who's running where and it's the playoffs right now. So it's tense as hell. So it's like, you know, I'm like not, in that everything's about music phase and it's really great you know it helps me kind of disconnect as a, as a father and to just be there and be able to not be music head for a minute you know so now that you're touring you're back out touring some with under oath and you're doing all that stuff and now you you live in a smartphone world it's so much easier to keep up with things like nascar than maybe you know when when under Earth f- uh, first started going out you know in a van and all you oh, had was you know text yeah. messaging yeah i mean when we started touring full time, we started touring full time in 2003 and I didn't even have a cell phone until 05. Oh, wow. So yeah, I was, I was, I was 20 years old by the time I had a cell phone, 21. Yeah. I just didn't, it wasn't like part of our culture, you know, like we all come from a, like very, very lower to middle class families, you know, like, uh, a few of us grew up on food stamps and the whole thing. So we didn't, I mean, a cell phone. It was like, what? You know what I mean? For us, it was like Spencer and I shared $50 for six weeks to make their only chasing safety to eat on. That's how we lived, you know? So it's like, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't even thinking about cell phones, dude. Like we didn't have money to buy, to buy like Wendy's, you know, fuck a cell phone. So now, you know, you have like, I pay, monthly to have, you know, whatever network NASCAR, NASCAR switches networks halfway through the season, right? So it starts with Fox and then halfway through it switches to NBC. So I literally pay to have the apps on my phone <laughs> that I can watch. So you know? insane. And then, you know, bus, bus televisions have, uh, our bus company has loaded every, they have everything television wise. So you have like a satellite that has like, you know, you can watch whatever the hell you want to watch anytime, you know? So, for me, it's 
it's just been it's, like we were talking about before. It's just serendipitous that you kind of get to do this, and yeah, yeah, you can do so much stuff. I, I've told the story on the on the podcast before, but one of the the first major tour I ever did was in 2002, and I did have a cell phone, and I had a friend back home. That would uh, I grew up in Nashville, so I'm a big Titans fan, and so he would text me play by play while yeah, yeah. while we were driving. He'd be like uh, third and ten. Oh man, you know we we had to punt. I mean, it was just constant, just just updates on what was going on. Good times. That's wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I had such a long. I had I had such a long period of time where I wasn't even into anything extracurricular. That's what I mean. Like NASCAR has been good for me. Like, like I, I, I just didn't you know, when we were touring in a van and like just kind of roughing it like that, like I, none of us were into anything. <laughs> like, you know, like we were, we were all into like just forwarding the van. Cause that's back in the time when you grant you, you, you grinded to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's like, how many likes do you have or how many views do you have? Like back then to get eyes on your music, you had to actually go get eyes on your music. You know what I mean? Um, so we come from that place, which is like, that's weird. Like I tell people, you know, I produce artists, I produce artists when I'm off the road and they're always like, how do you do it? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I really don't know now. I couldn't tell you like, honestly, cause when we started, it was like, you get in the van with your friends and you know, you start touring in 2002, like you get in the van and you're like, well, hopefully there's 30 people there tonight so we can get to the next place. You know what I'm saying? Like weird. No, yeah, it's definitely a much different time. I I couldn't even imagine. I've joked about this before. I just turned forty, and I couldn't even imagine starting a band right now. Like I'll, every once in a while, I'll get the itch to play, and then I'll like start thinking about it. But I don't do things on a small scale, so I don't know if I could just get in a room with some buddies because I would get in the room with the buddies and then be like, you know what? Maybe we should record a demo. And you know, so but but at the it's, same time, yeah, it just dude, makes me want to throw it's up. A crutch. Yeah it's a crutch, you know, it's like, Oh, this is how we do this. You know, like you get some guys and you go and like, ah, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I, yeah. I, I have a, like, I feel like I have a phone call every day, like, you know, prepping a record for a band that's got their first deal or whatever. And they're like, how do we, how do we do it? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like you're not paying me to tell you that. Cause I don't know. You know, I even feel like, I even feel like the older managers are, I, they're, they're figuring it out. You know, cause it's not, it's not, it's not the same. It's just not, it was, it was everything cyclical though. It'll come back around, you know, to being the way that it was like people were tired of the circle that we're in. <laughs> I, I'm just, dude, I'm just so thankful that, like I said before, that we can make a living doing this and I don't have to have a job. You know what I mean? Like, especially with the way that things are, you know, like there's a lot of shit that was popping in 2006 and 2007 that people don't even, they, they don't care, you know, like, those bands get back together and go play shows and no one would show up. Right. You know, like oh, that yeah. scares me. That scares me to death that we still have like a really viable thing going, you know, that I can still have a viable career in music when, you know, our nexus was at the, it was in that, at that time, you know what I mean? So, well, yeah. I remember seeing under oath a few years ago at uh, riot fest in Chicago and yeah, you know, the, the, you guys were the buzz of the day because of the, was that early in the, uh, kind of the, ret- the return? Was it, was it, did you see it in 2016? Was that the, the year the Misfits played? Yeah. 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 That was the, that was the year that we got back together. Yeah. So yeah. it was, you know, people were like, holy shit, never thought I'd see this again type stuff. 
dude, that tour, that tour we did that year, it was so weird, man. Cause I was convinced like, I don't, and again, I don't think it's good to be down on yourself, but I told the guys, I was like, this will be fun. That was the, that was the talk. We were going to do three weeks of a tour and then be done again forever. And that tour sold out in seven months in advance. And it was some of the biggest rooms we'd ever been in. And we were like, what the hell? So then we were like, then we started getting all these officers festivals that we had never been to. And we're like, what? Like, you know, cause back in 2007, six, seven, like we didn't go and play with like corn and Rob zombie. You know what I mean? Like we weren't, they didn't take us seriously. It was like a fluke. It was like that kitty emo rock thing. And they thought that that's what it was. In a lot of respects it was, but for somehow we, somehow, I don't know how, or I'm grateful we transcended that somehow. So then we made a record and, we did another, we did a big U S tour at the end of last year and it was actually the biggest tour we had done. So we saw that it wasn't a fluke. You know what I mean? Like we did like the basketball arena in our hometown and we're like, what is going on? You know, like it was just a strange, strange, strange thing. And I still chalk it up as strange cause I can't believe that it happened, you know? And we just did this summer, we just did corn and Alice and chains and they treated us like peers. You know, when I was a teenager, Alice and chains was like my favorite thing, you know, instead of be sitting in your dressing room and Jerry Cantrell comes in and opens a Diet Coke. You're like, what is going on? <laughs> like, these these people see me as a peer now, you know? Um, but I'm just thankful, you know? I'm just, so we're so fortunate to be able to, we kind of escaped that stigma of this is a throwback. You know, we were able to, to move on from that um, and still be the throwback thing for a lot of people, but then have a whole new lease on the career, which is like, you know, I just, I don't think it's real still, but I'm I'm here for it, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I recently had a, a it was an off the record conversation, so I won't name any names, but we were talking about the Christian hardcore scene of the early to mid two thousands. You know, where you were playing church basements, and the guy I was talking to was trying to start a new band, and the band he was in was very big in the Christian metalcore world, but he said that those fans did not transcend over. And don't even know he's doing anything new because even though there was a lot of people at those shows, he said a lot of times it was, you know, what is it? The youth group minister, youth group pastor was like making all the kids go to the show and, you know, they were selling a ton of merch, but it just didn't last. So I know what you mean by, you know, you guys transcendent and being able to continue on out of that, uh, out of that world is, uh, is something special. Yeah. We got out of that world real quick. Like, when Chase, they're only chasing safety came out, like we did warp tour and I, we watched it happen. It was weird because it, it felt like an overnight thing because that album came out June 15th of 2004. And we warp tour started earlier then. Um, it started like at the beginning of the month. So we started out that tour playing for like 150 people a day. Right. Um, and then that record came out 14 days into the tour. And by the end of the tour, there were thousands of people watching us play and we were just so confused. Like, <laughs> what is this really, does this really matter? You know? And by the end of that summer, we found out that they're only chasing safety had sold uh, 50,000 records. And we were like, what? And then at the end of that tour, Coheed and Cambria brought us out. And so we quickly transitioned from like the church basement thing to that. So we started touring with all just like immediately after that. Um, and our first headlining show uh, off of that album was, that October. Um, and it was at the, in a place in Dallas called the door. And we got there and it held, I remember sound checking, it held a thousand people, this building. And we were like, there's no 
way that there's no fucking way that <laughs> anyone's going to come to this thing. And that day, and this is not made up. It sounds like I'm bragging. I'm just telling you the story, but no, it's, it's so weird to talk about yourself. But, but we got there, uh, and sound checked and we got, we had a bus, like our first nice bus. And we got back in the bus and an hour before doors, there was 5,000 people outside and the police showed up and the SWAT team showed up cause they thought it was a riot. Um, and we were just like, what is happening? You know, like it, it happened that way. And I think that um, because of that steam it had early on, it's been able to carry us through. You know, I, for some reason, Under Oath has been a band that people uh, people feel like it's theirs. You know, like I still see people's Instagram profiles and social media profiles where it says it'll have their name and it'll have the O slash. Nice. And it's like it's part of their, it's part of their uh, identity in a way. And to be a part of that for somebody is like, it's, it's, it's a big deal, you know? Um, but also it's, it's, it's a humbling thing, you know, and you can take, you can take those things one of two ways. You can look at them like, Oh my God, we made, we made it. Or you can go, wow, this is a responsibility. And I think that we've always seen it that way, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate that we've been able to see it that way instead of like, Oh, we've made it. You know, we've always looked at it like we have to go out there and give these people something that is going to change their their night, going to change their week. You know, like we make an album, we're gonna we're gonna change people's minds or make them think a certain thing, and that's always been the goal. You know, so yeah. No, it's definitely been a a very cultural band for a lot of you know a lot of people that grew up in that era of band you know that's like you know when you're talking about corn and rob zombie you know like those are staples of that genre and you know you guys are also staples of you know your era too so that's that's an amazing feat yeah it's weird to, it's weird to it's weird to hear that out loud that you're a staple of anything but it's <laughs> uh it's an honor and it's uh it's scary you know i, I don't know man it's like I feel like now there's some really great bands now, but I feel like now, you know, you don't see that as much, you know, people becoming a staple, like, which is a weird thing to say. Like we, we, we just finished this. Uh, we did like eight weeks with corn and Allison chains this summer. And it was a dream, right? Like it was a dream, but like the thousands, the tens of thousands of people that came to those shows every day, you know, like, and they were just so invested in, songs that came out in 2001 you know what i mean like and it it was just it was really interesting to watch those two bands play and just be no one seemed old that was the interesting part about it for me like the guys on stage you know like some of those dudes are in their late 50s yeah and they they, everyone looked good and was confident and it didn't seem like those bands you know allison chains plays down in a hole and it's not like here's an oldie it was like a song that people were resonating with. You know what I mean? Like a song that I listened to in high school that was like the shit for me. And it still is, you know, and maybe I thought that it's because I'm a musician and I have such a great song, but you see 20,000 people in a, in a amphitheater, like into it, you know? And I just think that's a cool, that's a cool thing, but you don't, you don't, I don't, I don't know that we'll feel that way about a lot of the music that's out now. And I hope we do, you know, but I just, you don't, I don't know. like, think about it in this way, you know, like the biggest thing in the world right now is Post Malone. In 20 years, will people be singing that G-Wagon song back to him? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's a talented guy and I have no idea about the style of music, but like, is the G-Wagon song and Down in a Hole, are they in the same 
category? Um, is that quality of song? No, they're not. Not to me. You know what I mean? So oh, it's yeah. like, you just don't know. Free Fallen will always be a massive song. <laughs> always. Like, my son knows that song. He's seven. You know what I'm saying? He also knows Old Town Road. But when he's 25, I don't think he'll give a shit about Old Town Road. But I think he'll know what Free Fallen is. You know what I mean? So I, I just... I would say Old I Town Road to him is like... Like a song like by the Fat Boys for us or something, you know, like it's 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 classic. It's going to bring you back to your youth and you're going to get a chuckle out of it. But you're not going to go back to it as as like down in a hole. You know, you're not going to be like, man, this is this is masterful art. You know, it's it's just a, a you know, a tchotchke of a song. Uh, Old Town Road is that's weird. It's weird, though, right? Like it's weird to like to be living in those times where there's people in the 60s that, that wrote Chotsky, Chotsky-ass songs that, you know, that Sammy Davis Jr. was like, this is terrible. Right. You know what I mean? Or like, or like, you know, Mick Jagger was like, this will never go anywhere. <laughs> that past here. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's funny to think that way. They were saying, they were having these same conversations. I always try to remind myself of that when I get like, you do interviews and people are like, how do you feel in the streaming era? Like, everything's all fucked, right? And you're like, I think it's always been this way. It's just been one thing or the other. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's always been like this. There's always been guys that are in veteran-type bands. They're like, this will never last. I and mean, it usually doesn't, you know? And then sometimes it does. You know, I remember, dude, I remember, like, 06 on Warp Tour, Define the Great Line came out on that tour, and it sold 100,000 copies in the first week. And it was just crazy. Like, I remember sitting down because I almost fell over when... <laughs> I remember sitting down like and being like, that's, a, that's not real. And the bands on the tour that year were like Pennywise and no effects and uh, all these classic punk bands, you know? And I remember them being like, I remember them, this, this feeling that I had that we were a joke to them. You know what I mean? And I remember them telling, and some of them liked us and they would say, you know, don't let this go to your head. But now like, I feel that way sometimes about some of the bands that are out now. I'm like, this will never work. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like, oh, I totally get that. It's, yeah. It's weird, man. It's like, it's a cycle, you know, like I, I can't believe it, but it is. And I, I'm just thankful that we, we stuck around long enough and I get to make music long enough. You know, I, I, every day back to what we were saying, you know, half an hour ago, like I'm just thankful every day that I get to do this and that people, that some people still care. You know what I mean? Like, all of the bullshit and the politics aside, it's like I get to write songs and tell the world how I feel and um, and buy food like that. And that's that. I think the day that the day that that doesn't excite me anymore, like that opportunity, is the day that I stop. You know, I think mean, that's the day that I look at myself in the mirror and go, "You're ungrateful now, and you should just go get a job." You know. I don't have any skills. I don't know what job I could get, but you know, <laughs> you'd figure it I out. I have no real. That's the problem about that's the problem about growing up in a in a in a musical world is you have no real life skills. You know what I mean? Like, I've never done my taxes or like, <laughs> I I you know we started touring when we were seventeen years old, so most of us had only ever had like lawn business jobs or like retail jobs. Like none of us have an education, you know, at all. Like nobody has a higher education, so it's we, interesting I, to think about that. I just had a, I just had Dave Ellison of Megadeth on, and we were talking about his new book, and his new book is based kind of in that period 
where, oh, he, cool. where, where he was out of Megadeth. And, you know, we, I jokingly said, yeah. you know, what do you do when you go find a job? What's on your resume? I was in Megadeth. Like, wh- what is that? You know, that's all you've got. <laughs> yeah, to me and you, that's like, oh, that's fucking cool. Right. But, like, I was telling my wife the other day, she's uh, she's in the in, in the job hunt, and um, she's a she's a medical spa person, esthetician. And it's, uh, she's like, yeah, it's just find things that I want. It's hard to find. And, um, I was like, honey, if I went to McDonald's, they wouldn't give me a job. <laughs> like, literally like, like I have no real world skills. Like if I, I could literally walk into like a temp agency and be like, I can't pay my bills. I need a job. And they'd be like, sorry, man. Like you don't have any skills. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's really, it's really funny. Like, the only thing I could do would be to cut grass, which isn't that bad of a job, actually. But that would be. But you're a redhead, so you might fry. You'd be surprised. I'm. <laughs> I get a tan. I'm a. Uh-oh. I'm like a Florida redhead with no. Fre- I don't have any freckles. All right. So like I, I get really brown, which is really super weird. But I don't know. I think my mom calls me a Florida redhead, so I think that that maybe has something to do with it. But it's weird, right? To think about, to think about like, did you get a job? I'm like, I, I no, you know. Like I, guys like me, we die in this trade, you know, like when I wasn't touring very much, I, I got a call to tour from a different band. It's a side man. I, you know, I did the side man life for five years after under oath, you know, I played drums for that band Paramore. Um, Great band. and it was really cool. It saved my life though, because I under oath, I quit under oath, uh, in 2010 um, and I did some solo stuff and it was, it was successful. And then I just, I had a child at 28 and I was like, shit, like 29. I was like, what do I do now? Like, I can't tour like I used to, like, what do I do now? And I literally was cutting the grass at my house in Florida and I got a phone call and I, that started this five year, four year whirlwind. And then, uh, under got back together. Like as that was ending, I did, I actually did my last tour with Paramore as under was rehearsing. Um, so it's just, it's just, it's scary. Like when you really think about it, you know, but we've all started to do, we've all started to do other things. You know, I'm a producer and I write a lot of, uh, this is really weird. I write a lot of pop songs, like LA pop songs for DJs and stuff like that. Really strange. Um, and then Tim, our guitar player owns a bar, um, and restaurant. It's like really nice and kind of a destination place in Tampa. Um, James, our other guitar player is a, a CPA. Like he went to school on the road and got a CPA and, he works from his house and he works on the road. Um, and not even that he needs to, but it's smart, you know? Um, we're all just doing other things. Our, our keyboard player, uh, literally scores movies. Um, like, and it's like starting to do journeys commercials and all kinds of stuff. So, <laughs> you know, you just kind of, you kind of find your lane in society via your talents. You know, I did some, uh, I did some songs last year for the Apple education department. Like you just kind of, you, you, you kind of weasel your way into society as, as the person you are. But, and that's so weird, right? Like, think about that for a second. Think about like, you know, like look at us and you're like, well, you have to, you know, we're going to be off tour for a year. What are you going to do? You know, like, and it's not even a financial thing at that point. It's like, I'm going to go insane. If I don't do something, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. My dad's that's always, he almost you know, kind of saved me in a way too. Cause it's, it can be sort of my shoot. Or all, everything else. Yeah, my dad's always really worried about s- retiring because he thinks that you know once you stop 
moving, you know, you pretty much just pat, you know, die. You know, you w- once you just slow down and stop and sit down, you know, you just basically uh, rot away dude, or something. Dude, it's so funny. I, you know, my my in laws, um, my father in law was a, a nuclear biologist and did government contracts and uh, worked for you know uh, inter- uh, education institutions and made a lot of money, dude. Like a lot of money. And um, he's retired now. He's been retired for a decade. Right? And he's busier now than when he worked. And I see that because if he stopped, you know, this dude goes hunting like 100 days a year and rafts the Grand Canyon and has like a shop out in in the yard and builds shit. And he's never, never just doing nothing. And... I think about that. I'm like, if he would have just stopped and said it, he would have died. Right. You know, and for me, for me, my, one of my heroes is Johnny Cash. And I don't know if you know that, but he literally played music for people 48 hours before he died. Yeah. Like not to, that's the life that I want. I feel like I really relate with, you know, for me, you just die one day. You know, I don't, I get to do, I would pay to do what I do. Right. And, and I did for a long time. You know, when we were kids, we literally borrowed money from our parents and paid to, to play music, you know? So when you finally get paid to do it and you make a real living doing it, like you can't imagine not doing it. Cause then you're like, it's like, you're like spitting in the universe's face at that point. You know, you're like, I finally got given this chance. Why stop? So for me, I know it, you know, I know that I'll be doing something and then just die the next day. And I'm okay <laughs> with that. You know, I, right. I don't give a shit about, I don't give a shit about golf. I'm not going to go and sit in a place in Palm Springs for the last 10 years of my life and just slowly become decrepit and rot. You know, there's, I, it's just not, it doesn't sound fun to me. You know, I follow Jerry Cantrell on Instagram and the dude has more money than he needs. He was in a rock star in the nineties and still is. And he could just stop. Right. right? He could, he could stop and just be Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains and have all this money from all these giant songs he wrote. But I see his Instagram and like every couple days he's like, I just spent 12 hours writing a song. I'm going to relax. I'm like, you don't have to do that. (laughs) You don't have to do that. You can play, you know, dirt forever. And I don't care. I'm, I'm there for it. I'll show up and buy a ticket every time. He still does, you know, corn, corn. They just put their first record out in a long time. And you know, that talking to, to Brian Welch, he's like, yeah, I'm working on a bunch of songs. I'm going to do something with them. You know, these dudes have millions of dollars. They don't have to do anything. But it's what it's what you do when you get in you get in in a certain place. You just you just don't stop. You know what I mean? Like you can't. It's like what keeps you alive. People always say that this job keeps you young, and it does because you want to perform. You want to create. And if you're a fat, unhealthy piece of trash, you can't. You know what I mean? So right. it's like this this keeps you young. It really, really does. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm 36. They're like, no, you're not. I'm like, I'm 36. I see my license, you know, cause it just, it keeps you And And also in, in a negative way, like Spencer and I thought we're talking about this the other day is like in life, you, you're, you are young because you spent all of your twenties when you're becoming a man or a woman being told where to go, you know, and have a flashlight turned on and led to a stage. And that's your life. You know, Groundhog Day every day. You know, people are like you've been all over, all over the world, and I have, but I haven't seen anything. You know what I mean? Like I haven't oh God. Yeah, experienced. I know. 
I haven't experienced real life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how to do my taxes. I'm 36. You know, in the last 10 years, I started reading like ravenously, like three or four books a week because I felt so ignorant about the world and about life. And when I remember in 04, when there was the whole like fuck Bush campaign that was going on, I didn't know anything about it. I couldn't, I couldn't be on either side because I just didn't watch the news. I didn't read a newspaper. I just was waking up at noon and hung over and then going on stage and then doing it all again. You know what I mean? So it's awesome that it keeps you young, but it also, it also creates this sense of isolation, you know, for a lot of us. And I think a lot of guys are politically minded now. And, you know, there's more information now, like you were saying before than there ever has been. You can get shit fast now, but like, I didn't, I don't, I didn't do that. I was so, so mesmerized and enthralled by the music. Um, that I just wasn't a person. I just was like a conduit for music. I did. I didn't. I wasn't a a guy. You know what I mean. So now, once I had a child, I was like, oh shit! Like, I need to know how to do stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I need to know how to like. You know, Spencer always says we were doing an interview today, and they someone was like, you know, how who were you guys when you were twenty three? And Spencer Spencer had like a one word response and he goes 16 <laughs> you know like yeah. when we when i was 25 years old i was an 18 year old kid literally like psychologically uh sociologically i was i was 18 you know like i still thought cigarettes were cool 28 years old you know what i mean like so it's a give and a take right it keeps you young but it also like kind of stunts you out you know so yeah, weird. Really weird. I don't know. You were talking about touring a second ago and how you've been a ton of places, but you've never haven't seen a lot of things. And so, like, even when you first, when we first started talking, and you said you were from, you know, living in Salt Lake City, I was like, all right, well, I've played Salt Lake City, so like, what do I know about Salt Lake City? And I'm like, well, I think I've been to the mall there. <laughs> you know, it's like, so I've, yeah, you don't you don't know what band were you in? Uh, Primer Fifty Five. Okay, that's cool. I haven't. It's fun to have this kind of conversation. I've never, I've only ever done like one or two podcasts. Yeah. I've never done like a long form. I've never really done like a long form interview about music. That's really cool. Like I, I feel like there's so much, like I think about it all the time. Like there's so much information inside of what we've done, you know, that like that people don't think is normal and we think is normal. (laughs) So it's cool to like, that's again, that's the stunted growth thing though. Right. Like, (laughs) right. Like you, you could tell somebody at 40, you're like, yeah, man, I've been to Salt Lake city. And they're like, what'd you see? And you were like some shitty club and like them all, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've been to, to South Africa and South America and New Zealand. And I've done some stuff in those places as I've gotten older. I kind of make it a point now, you know, like as we became drinking age and could go out and experience micro brews and we see more now than we did, you know, when we tour now, all of us have kids. We have 11 kids in the band and we will get up. We get up at nine o'clock now, eight o'clock now, seven thirty now, because we're in our late mid to late thirties. So we're not sleeping till 1 PM and waking up hungover, smoked a pack of cigarettes the night before and drank a case of beer. So now it's like, now it's like, yo, there's this church. We're in, we're in Austria and there's this church. It's like the oldest standing building ever. Do you want to see it? And we're like, Oh, that's cool. You know? So it's like, let's find that dope coffee spot and get a latte and go look at it, you know? But when I was 26, 27, I was up till 6 a.m. the night before, probably 
eating a pill of some sort to stay up. You know what I mean? So I didn't like the next day was, was a wash. The next day was surviving to make it to the show to do the drinking again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's interesting now, you know, cause if you and I were in a band together and we went to New Zealand, you'd be like, yo dude, let's go to Hobbit town. That's what you would right. say. You know, you would say, let's climb this fucking hill, you know? But when you're 25, you're like, what time are we playing? Okay, we're playing at eight, so I got to be awake by four p.m. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes, sir. But once you have kids, once you have kids, you're not getting stoned the night before, dude. You're you're not drinking your butt off the night before. You're uh, you're you're going to bed at eight o'clock because you've been awake for twenty five hours. You know, so we kind of carry that into touring a little bit, and then we have a good time. But it's you see, I've seen more in the last. I've seen more since our girls got back together than than I have my whole career, which is so sad to say. But I've seen more post-30 than pre-30. Well, I think I was going to ask you a little bit ago, I wondered how how your time in Paramore, where you weren't the center of attention the entire time, you know, allowed you yeah. to go back into Under Oath with like maybe different eyes. Does that make sense? Oh, dude. I, I loved that time because I just played the drums. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't in the band um, and I wasn't, I wasn't the focus, you know? So it, it made it to where like, it's a twofold thing, right? Like I appreciated it so much when Under Oath got going again. And I was like, wow, this is so, such an honor to be the guy, you know? But then I loved it not being the guy, you know? I loved like working on my craft and just doing my craft, you know? Like, and it was a situation where when it's not your music, and it's not your band, like you are perfect <laughs> or you're in trouble. Yep. You know what I mean? Not like they had like a demerit system, but like you're getting paid an exorbitant amount of money to, to do music, which is so weird. And it's to do music that isn't yours. So you, you got to show up with your game face on. So back in under oath, there's no more pressure. I can mess up and nobody can yell at me because I wrote the goddamn thing. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. we, we, we wrote it together. So if you forget the words, it's funny. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you drop a verse and think you're in the pre-course, it's funny. You know what I mean? Like, but when you're in someone else's band, it's not funny. If you mess up, you know what I mean? So it made me such a better player because I was so stringent on, and that's when I kind of cleaned myself up, you know, not that I was ever a huge mess, but that's when I cleaned myself up because I was like, yo, I got to be there for this. You know what I mean? Like we were playing, you'd wake up and realize that you playing sold out at Madison Square Garden, you know, that you, you can't, you can't show up hungover and being funny. You know what I mean? Like you gotta, you gotta go in there and, and, and make it right. So, you know, it made me appreciate the life of not having to take yourself so seriously, but it also made me, um, a way better player. Cause our thing in under oath has always been, you just don't take it seriously. You can't. You know, because you can just, I, I've been backstage and seen band members yell at each other over like forgetting a part or like, you know, not having a certain look, you know, you know, that whole thing. And we just never subscribe to that. To us, it's always been like, well, we stepped in some shit and we're lucky. So let's just go out having a good time, you know, put on, put on a show for these folks, you know, but that time in Paramore made me, you know, a better player, but also made me thankful that um, I have my own outlet where I can not take it too seriously, you know? So you're doing something, you're doing 
southern southern weather in full on this next on this upcoming tour but it's like the 13 year anniversary so you're not even doing it on like a 10 year or a 5 year or 15 year like you're breaking the rules yeah. on this one man yeah i don't care <laughs> you know for me it's like i got offers to do the 10 year tour and I, we were like right in the middle of making an under oath record um so i just was sort of just like yeah i'm not going to do that you know uh, so I, you know, I'm going to go out and play like the way that, the way that I've done the set list is, um, it's like a Southern weather song, a new song, a Southern weather song, a new song. So I'm not going to play anything else in the catalog, just Southern weather and songs off of fear caller. Um, and then the end of the show, I'm actually going to play the ballads off Southern weather by myself, just like with an acoustic guitar. So I might skip a song or two off Southern weather that didn't really make sense to do live. Um, but you know, the slow ballad type things I'll do at the end by myself and then we're going to stagger it. Um, which I think is a cool way to do it. You know, usually a band plays a whole record, takes a break, plays another whole record or whatever, right. or plays like a greatest, greatest hit set list. And then, you know, I saw taking back Sunday do it. It was super cool. They did like a greatest hit set list and then they encored with all of tell all your friends. Um, so I'm just going to do it that way. Just stagger it. You know, it's really small rooms. It's like the Belasco in LA um, exit in in Nashville, you know, those type of places. So, uh, you know, I, it's not going to be a big production. I'm just going to go out and kind of make it about the songs and talk about the songs. And, um, yeah, no, like dog and pony show. You know, the almost <laughs> is very much not that the almost is very much not that thing, you know? Yeah. I was kind of wondering how you were going to yeah. do the, uh, Southern weather in full because of obviously the, the hit song is the first track. So I figured you might have to do like, I think Metallica did it where they did uh, the Black Album in its entirety, but they did it backwards. So they ended with... Yeah, I'm doing like... We're do- I'm doing like just kind of whatever I want set list-wise. It's, not, it's definitely not in order, you know, because I, like, I feel like when you do things in order, it's like, unless the record is like a super big hit, like you've got low points. You know, we went out and did, when Under Oath got back together, we went out and did Chasing Safety and Define a Great Line in order, back yeah. to back, and it was the most... Dude, it, that was the fucking marathon. It was like <laughs> 22 songs. It was that was death. Like we literally played Chasing Safety, and you're like, I feel pretty good, you know. Like, and the, we took a four minute break, and they showed this video, and then we played all of Define the Great Line, and I was like, and six songs into Define the Great Line, that's like a pretty adventurous record in terms of like there's seven, eight minute songs on there. Like halfway through that thing, every night we look at each other and be like, Oh my God, what have we done? And, and even then, in those two records, are the biggest two things of my career, um, there's still, like, there was points, you know, you come out and start the record and people are losing it, and then you get, like, six songs in and you've got, like, your instrumental weirdness and all of that stuff, and it's, like, people are, like, they're there for it, but it's not the big, crazy response you got for the first five songs. So, for this, I'm just going to kind of stagger it, you know, and I think that's the way that, that I wanted to do it, and I'm kind of, like, it's kind of burnt out now, like bands doing 10 years and 20 years and 15 years. So I just was like, I'll play the whole thing. And for me, it's like kind of a bait and switch way to get people to listen to the fear caller tracks, you know, cause I'll play say this sooner. And then I'll be like, here's the single from this record. So you kind of got to sit through one song to get to the next one. That's my theory. So we'll see if it works. I'll let you know in a, in a couple months if it works. Well, yeah, I definitely have to have you back on and we'll do a, a an entire Johnny cash podcast because uh, I grew Dude. up. I grew up loving Johnny Cash. Read all the books, and my uh, even my youngest son, his middle name is Cash. Same. So, uh, so we're gonna do it. Yeah, I'm. 
I'm such a I'm such a fan of this format, man. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for uh, thanks for wanting to do this, and uh, you know, thanks to Amy for setting yeah. this up. Man, she's she's the best. For sure, she cool. is. Well, thank you, man. I uh, hope you have a great evening. Cool, man. Well, uh, let's let's end this off with a song off of uh, Fear Caller. What would you like me to play? Play I Want It Real. All right, man. Well, here's I Want It Real by the Almost off of Fear Caller out. It'll be out now by the time this is out. And uh, Aaron, man, thanks for taking the time tonight. And this has been a blast. And you're probably yeah. the first guest that I've had totally. that, that my note sheet I don't, I don't even think we really touched on half of the stuff on the note sheet. So, uh, so yeah, this has been a lot of fun. That's man. the best way. That's <laughs> the best way. Conversations are the best way. As a, as a podcast listener, like a like a ravenous podcast listener, that's what I want to listen to. So right. I'm glad that we did it that way. Very cool, man. Well, have a right good on, rest buddy. of your evening, man, and uh, enjoy uh, Salt Lake City. <laughs> you as well. Cheers. All right, man. Take care.
Yo, this is Corey Brandon from Norma Jean. You're listening to Talk To Me Podcast.
All right. Huge thank you to Aaron Gillespie for taking the time coming on the Talk To Me podcast. Make sure you're checking out Fear Caller, Fearless Records. Support Aaron, great guest and a great dude. Also, once again, make sure to get your new Talk To Me t-shirt. 25 bucks shipped anywhere in the U.S. PayPal.me slash talk to me. Leave your name, your address, and your size. I will get that shirt out to you ASAP. Support our good friend Scott Bowling over at Good Company with Bowling and let him know that the Talk To Me podcast sent you. And once again, MerchLive.com. Use the promo code to me 10 at checkout for 10% off your entire order. And once again, guys, make sure you are leaving a nice five-star rating, nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook recommendations, or wherever you can leave a review. Make sure you are joining the Talk To Me congregation on Facebook. Ask to join. You will be allowed into the private group. And the easiest way to support the show is anytime you see an episode, just hit that share button, hit that retweet button, and that will be much appreciated. And again, facebook.com slash talk to me talk at talk to me podcast on Instagram at talk to me talk on Twitter. Talk to me talk at gmail.com if you want to send a note. And so until next Thursday, which is our Halloween episode, got a couple of great guests lined up for that one. Should be two interviews on that one, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So until then, I am Joshua Toomey, and this is the Talk To Me podcast.